everyone to the very latest Bolt from the Blue podcast. We are first on the scene and we are going to be talking about Tottenham Hotspur and Manchester City. Uh, I don't know about uh, you guys, but I was uh, nervous going into this game. Um, we, I was buoyed, of course, by the, the Liverpool result, but the memories of that uh, 2-0 loss against them in November, and we were really uh, hoping for the opportunity to put some daylight, real daylight between us and the rest. And to talk about that with me, I have the two guys that you would expect. And first of all, we have... Uh, Press which blue on Twitter, but Colin Savage, as we know him. Colin, how are you doing? I'm very good. It's been a good footballing day. If Carlsberg did weekends, guys, if Carlsberg did weekends, it's been very good. What do you think? We'll ask this question to our uh, next contributor from City Fan TV. We have Ray. Ray, how's how's it going, and how are you feeling? Oh, it's a great feeling. It's been a it's been a fabulous 24 hours. Uh, you know, I'm well into my women's football Friday night. Uh, Man City oh, yes, women yeah. beat Man United women in the derby 3-0 and we overtake them in the league we got a game in hand and I, it hopefully is a fight between City and Chelsea to win the title and if you haven't seen the game and the goals please go and watch Oh that was a cracking goal by Caroline Weir wasn't it? Unbelievable yeah. chipped the goal she was on the edge of the box she dragged it past one player chipped the goalie from the edge of the box and the goalkeeper was pretty much on her line um, it was just a fabulous goal, and actually, last season in the in the derby, same fixture, she scored a goal from about twenty five yards, one of the goals of the season. So it's phenomenal. Uh, so it's a great way to start the uh, the weekend, and then obviously Liverpool losing, it's fabulous, another fabulous result, uh, and then City winning, another tremendous result. It was, guys. Totally agree with Ray there. If you haven't seen the Caroline Weir goal, and you're of a certain age, it might sort of remind you slightly of a particularly well-replayed goal scored by George Best, a, a chip over the goalkeeper from a bit of distance, and uh, it was fantastic, absolutely fantastic. I guess Ray may be the only uh, slight little cloud on this glorious uh, horizon was, I think I got reports in about uh, Dwight McNeil. This is a young under-18 player yeah. that we sold to Man United, and he did very well in the game tonight. And I think they beat us and he he kissed the badge of Man United after well, he's, score, scoring over 600 uh, goals in the academy system at Man City. He's a United fan. Um, so it's fair enough. They beat us 4-2. He scored a hat-trick in the first half, um, no less. So uh, give him his due. He, play, he played well. And look, it's about time to beat us. So... You know, we can't be greedy, can't begrudge them something, got to give them some scraps and some breadcrumbs from time to time. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Well, guys, let's have a look at the lineups for both teams. As I mentioned before, just in the intro, of course, we had, been, we, we had lost to Spurs 2-0 uh, back in November. So uh, here we go again. And, of course, um, uh, back in that loss, you'll remember, those are the days when we used to have uh, Kevin De Bruyne playing for us. Kevin De Bruyne, rather, should I say. And, of course, people are wondering how he would get in our team these days, you know. Uh, someone put up he on doesn't. Twitter, Someone put up on Twitter, Ray, um, how would KDB fit into City's team now and where where would he be? And then, quick as a flash, someone came up and posted him on the bench is where he'd be. <laughs> uh, which is, I've, of been course, saying that, I've been saying that with Aguero, sorry to interrupt, yeah, but for Aguero, yeah. he doesn't get back into the side. He's not been in the side basically for a year. 
And he, for me, he's going to be a super sub. That's it for for at least till the end of March. Because yeah. why would you disrupt what what's working so well? And same with KDB. He's going to have to work his, his way back into this side. Because actually, people are now saying, is it true that we're playing better without KDB? Mm-hmm. Well, guys. Who uh, you take out? Yeah. yeah. You don't let's take Gundogan out, that's for sure. You don't take, take Rodri Edison out. Because, you take Edison out because he's not doing much, is he? <laughs> Yeah, I'm just going to give a quick shout-out to my friend uh, Board Ederson on Twitter, and uh, he was having the time of his life uh, for reasons that we'll discuss uh, later. But uh, anyway, guys, uh, let's have a look at the lineup. So, we, of course, we had uh, Brazil's number two, Ederson, um, tongue-in-cheek there, uh, Brazil's number two, Ederson, uh, then uh, João Cancelo, John Stones. Now, uh, you would expect Diaz uh, to be playing, of course, he was on the bench. Uh, actually, was he? No, he wasn't on the bench at all. He was on the bench, actually. Diaz was, was on, on the bench, bench. he was yeah. injured. Diaz yeah. had a little knock on yeah, the Yeah, he'd only had yeah. one training session on Friday, so it's a little yeah. bit too soon for him. So, and then, uh, and I, and then Laporte uh, is in in his place. And uh, there was a bit of a response on Twitter to that. And I had to tweet out, guys, it's a sad day when you're complaining about Laporte starting for Man City. Uh, memories are very short on his skill and ability. Anyway, there he was, partnering John Stones with Zinchenko on the left. And then, of but, but, course... Sorry, just to put in yeah. on Laporte, mm-hmm. that Spurs game where we lost 2-0 was not his finest hour. Yeah, by two mistakes, wasn't it? The imagination, so mm-hmm. that's yeah. when he got dropped, of course. Yes, right. And so that, you know, this is an opportunity for some kind of um, redemption. Um, As I mentioned, Zinchenko on the left, then we have uh, Bernardo uh, Rodri and Gundogan, obviously been sweating a little bit on whether Rodri would be back, but he was. And of course, flanked by Bernardo and Gundogan, the three of those guys in such great form uh, before today. Then your front three of uh, Sterling, Gabby J, and uh, Phil Foden. I think we all agree that Phil Foden is a pretty much a nailed-on starter these days. And and of course subs we had Kyle Walker displaced by by Cancelo. We had Diaz. We had Aguero back on the bench, not quite ready, uh, but you would assume that he could have done something being on the bench. Zach Stefan, uh, Torres, Mendy, and Mares. Those are the two people that so many. City fans are um, putting on their list for um, uh, transfers in the summer, but I, I honestly know, don't know who could buy them. Um, and then we have, um, you know, persona non grata, really, uh, Garcia and uh, Tommy Doyle. And Spurs lined up like this, and uh, they had Lloris. We had a fella called Tanganga. I haven't seen too much of him. Um, lately, we had uh, Davinson Sanchez and Dyer and uh, Davis. And then in, in Domble, Hoiberg, who's their defensive linchpin, uh, Lamella, and he really was, or as someone on Twitter called him, the walking red card. Um, he was really jonesing for a red card in this game, guys. We'll talk about this. Lucas Mora, Son Heung-min, and Kane. And, of course, it was the last two, Son and Kane, that were giving uh, City fans uh, calls for concern going into this. If, if, if you did have calls for concern, that's where the, the concern uh, would come from. Um, watching some um, Tottenham uh, fans talk about this upcoming game, they would tell you that um, really their attacking outlets um, are Aurier and uh, the other guy, Regulon, Regulon um, and they weren't obviously featuring. 
So uh, it really had to come from, um, their attacking threat really had to come from Ndombele through to Son and Kane, or a combination of two of those three. Subs are Doherty, Aldevere, and Winks. Uh, Bale, we can talk about him a little bit later. Then Joe Hart, of course, good to see him back. Sissoko, Ali, Bergwijn, and Vinicius. So over to Colin, first of all. Uh, we'll forget about the Spurs lineup and concentrate on the City lineup. Any thoughts? Um, no, not really. I mean, it was uh, obviously I think we're a bit um, surprised. It's the wrong word, but uh, a bit nervous seeing um, Diaz on the bench, only on the bench. Mm-hmm. As, as I say, Laporte didn't have a great game against Spurs in November um, when he looked like a bit of a headless chicken. So, but you know, we, we know he's a quality player, and uh, and Pep doesn't put players in unless he's sure they're going to do a job. Uh, as for all the rest, you know, um, Rodri, Bernardo, Silva, Gundogan, as we say, how's KDB going to break that trio up? Um, you know, we, we might put him in for Foden when he goes back on the bench. Um, <laughs> keep, keep Neil Custis happy. Um, you know, or, or Gabriel Jesus. But, um, you know, that that's probably our, uh, barring Diaz. That is probably our strongest lineup, isn't it? Yeah, you would think, Ray, wouldn't you, that the only way that'll change is that um, probably Aguero, when he gets fit and, and firing, he will replace a Gabby J, you would think. Although I'm not so sure it'll be a lot longer for KDB to get back. What do you I'm think? I'm not so sure about Aguero, to be honest, because what you notice today, at one point we had five, we were playing with five men up front, in effect, um, at, at times. And one thing Gabriel Jesus brings to us is that interchangeability, if that's a proper word. It's the fact that, um, you know, we start the game with Sterling on the left, Foden on the right, and then they'll swap 20 minutes in um, to confuse the defenders. And Gabriel Jesus will come deep and go wide and come back. And Aguero won't do all that. You know, he's 32. He, he, it's not what he does. Um, so if if we if he comes back and we drop Jesus, we're not going to get that. We're not going to get as much running, the work rate. And, you know, we can argue what's what's best for the team. Is it Gabriel Jesus putting all the effort in chasing people down or Aguero standing in, in you know, in the six-yard area uh, tapping the balls in? I don't know. Um, but it, it, if Aguero comes back and we do utilise him in that role, it's it's changing the the makeup of the team, the, the formation and the tactics. Um, so I'm, I'm not sure he's going to walk back in. Uh, KDB, obviously... He's more likely to come back in, and you can put him anywhere up um, in the front three, and uh, he'll be fantastic. Okay, guys. Well, going into this game, of course, uh, we're going to talk about this later uh, with much glee, but um, Leicester had beaten Liverpool 3 1. Um, I would have preferred the <coughs> a 1 1 draw because that would have squared the pair of those teams off at 43. We would have moved on to 53, but of course, Leicester won, and we're never ones to. Uh, turn our nose up at a demoralising Liverpool loss. Um, you can rely upon us for that. But um, a few um, comments going into the game. We had Pep, and he told us, he had told us, uh, reported that Diaz didn't train all week because, quote, he had the fever and didn't feel good. That's, you know, pretty simple. And um, obviously we're on a 15-game winning streak. And um, uh, Pep made the comment before the game um, that we do not automatically start games 2-0 uh, up. And uh, he regards that as one of the more wise things that he has ever said in his his, his career. It was quite a funny um, uh, press uh, conference. 
Um, Mourinho talking to Sky Sports, and I quote, I don't want to think about how much energy Spurs have left because there is no point. That's the way it is. If you want to compare City's task and ours midweek in the Cup, of course, he's referring to that 5-4 loss to Everton. You cannot compare. City are rested and we played two hours, but I don't want to think about it. It's wonderful the way these guys uh, put their excuses in and then say, well, you know, we're not going to talk about it. You've just talked about it, Jose. Um, anyway, <laughs> out, out we come. The players took the knee and we begin. So let's talk about how the game got started, Colin. And how, how do you think City looked in the op- opening exchanges? Well, it looked quite um, It looked quite even in the opening exchanges. It looked like it was going to be quite a lively game. I mean, we, we did what we do and, and we passed the ball around. But Spurs looked... Um, it, the interesting thing for me, I think, in the early stage was you, you expect... Uh, it's almost like a caricature of a Mourinho team to sit back around the penalty area and kind of, uh, repel attacks. But actually, they were they were pressing very deep. Uh, and I think in those early stages, causing us um, a few problems. Uh, we weren't as sharp as we normally are, I don't think. And, and then um, perhaps their best, uh, well, a good chance to go 1-0 up um, when uh, the ball was loose around in the centre. And it annoyed me a little bit because a couple of City players went for it. And both looked favourite to get there, but both somehow missed it uh, and came. And the Spurs player came out the tackle with the ball, which led to the free um, the foul, which led to the free kick that Kane took. And it was a cracking free kick, hit the post. Uh, I'm not sure Edison would have got there if it had been going inside the post. And and, and it all looked a bit, um, you know. And they were finding a little bit. They were finding pockets of space, particularly out on the uh, our, on their left, our right. So yeah, it was a good um, good opening. We we didn't quite look at the races, I didn't think. Um, and, and Spurs looked very sharp. So, yeah, I think it was a very even um, first kind of quarter, 30 minutes of the game. Yeah, Ray, apart from the free kick um, from Harry Kane, uh, did you also agree that that was fairly incident-free sort of uh, opening 20, 25 minutes? Maybe? Yeah, I'll, I'll agree with that. I mean, you know, you'd expect City to have more of the ball than we did. But we didn't really create anything. Uh, Spurs, you'd expect them to try and hit us on the break with their pace. Uh, they put pacey players there. Obviously, Son was there. Lucas was there. Um, Lamella was there. So they were trying to hit us on the break. But they really, most of the time, uh, you know, they made bad decisions um, when they were breaking. I and mean, that was actually throughout most of the game. They, they made the wrong choices or they were too slow. Um, you know, when, you, when you're breaking at pace against City, you've got to keep that uh, attack going rather than stop for a second and decide what to do, because that just gives us a chance to flood back. But it was pretty much a, an even game for the first 20 minutes. Yeah. What, what, what did impress me was um, you know, when we lost 2-0 at um, White Hart Lane back in November, our, our defence was all over the place and we looked completely disorganised. And it's something I'd said before that you know we don't seem to know how to defend, but we did this time. You know We cope with Spurs attacks reasonably well. Uh, you know, we, we we kept our shape. We were calm. Um, we didn't kind of run around like headless chickens. Um, and certainly that's something that Pep has done to really tighten up things at the back, which is great, which is what we needed. Yeah, yeah. And uh, just to remind folks, um, back in that loss that Cola referred to, the back four on that day was, uh, they had Cancelo slightly out of position, of course, at left back, Kyle Walker at right back, uh, Laporte on the left side of the central uh, defensive pair, and 
and Diaz was there on, on the right. Um, so, yeah, that was a bad day for Laporte. And uh, obviously you feel that you don't really get too much attacking-wise with Walker. And um, Cancelo um, hadn't really uh, got into the form he's in now. A lot, very, very different then. Guys, the first 20 minutes was, as the chaps have said, fairly uneventful. But on the 21st minute, I was pretty surprised, uh, Ray. Um, penalty for Man City. Mm. It was at Hoiberg on... Uh, Sterling, wasn't it? Gundogan. Gundogan. And I, I didn't really see it. Uh, I was surprised by the decision, Ray. What do you think? Um, well, what Gundogan has done a lot of in the last um, three months, basically, and, and Pep, Pep talked about it after the game as well, he's popped up as, as the false nine at times. He's popped up as the furthest man forward. He's making those runs from deep, um, helping out um, the, the wingers. It's, I mean, sometimes today I saw him out on the left wing, um, hugging the touchline, it's it's crazy what Pep's got him doing for a guy who we all thought was, you know, many of us thought were, was a pretty much a defensive midfielder with a few uh, creative attributes. Um, and and what happened was he, he chased a ball, I think that was put out from wide, probably I can't remember was it Sterling or Fordham? Yeah, Sterling, Sterling, yeah. yeah. Um, and Gundogan went for it, and he went to control, he went to stop it with his studs, and. He 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 had a bad touch, and he didn't stop it with his studs. He touched it, and the ball went up forwards. And actually, I think it was probably going to end up going out. And Hoiberg was chasing back, and he expected Gundogan, as you would, you'd expect him to control that ball. And 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 Hoiberg went in for the ball, and the ball wasn't there because he hadn't controlled it. And he um, kicked um, Gundogan on the ankle. I mean. At first viewing, I thought uh, Gundogan must have knocked it off Hoiberg and it went out and, uh, you know, in the clash, Gundogan went down. But, um, look, at the end of the day, the ball wasn't there and Hoiberg kicked um, Gundogan. Although, I was talking to some Spurs fans tonight, they said they'd seen an angle from from an American uh, producer or whatever, uh, TV company, and they said... Uh, Gundogan has stood on Hoiberg's foot. I haven't seen that. I don't believe that. The bottom line is, if you kick somebody in the box and the ball's not there, you're probably going to give a penalty away. And uh, at the end of the day, it was thoroughly deserved. Colin, there was some evidence that um, Pep had not laid down the law on who was going to be the penalty taker because the comedy moment in the first half, of course, was that when that penalty was given, up comes Ederson running straight up of the box. Uh, he was straining at the leash and he had to be uh, sent back. I think it was barked by Bernardo Silva. Bernardo sent him back. Uh, yeah, it was quite yeah, funny him, there. And uh, obviously upstep Rodri. And we didn't find out until after the game that Rodri had um, decided to put his foot down in, uh, in training with the other guys by saying that he was going to take any penalty that was going to be given. Um, so, there, you know, um, obviously Ederson hadn't got the message, but up stepped Rodri Colin. Um, did, did that surprise you? Because I was very surprised. Yes, uh, I was a bit surprised. I mean, Gundogan was on the field. Um, you know, people are talking about Foden having a penalty. Um, but yeah, Rodri stepped up and I was looking at, you know, you, are, you have absolutely no expectation these days when we get a penalty. And I was looking at Rodri's face and thinking, I don't fancy this at all. <laughs> Me uh, too. And to be fair, you know, he scored. It wasn't a great penalty, but it was, you know, low down in the corner. And it's very hard for the keeper to get there. Um, Lloris nearly did get there, but... I thought he um, touched it. Yeah. I thought Lloris touched it. He touched it. Yeah, yeah he got, got, got a good touch on it. But um, 
he couldn't keep it out. And, that, and that's the point about, you know, you put it low down in the corner, you put it uh, high up in the top corner, the keeper's unlikely to get there. Yeah. And, and, and we scored a penalty. Only just, but we scored yeah. a penalty. I didn't think it was a very good penalty. But... No. Don't think he'll be taking another one, Ray. <laughs> well, I think he will. He's going to put his foot down and say, I've got a good record. I scored one out of one. But the thing is, um, you might look at uh, the penalties we've missed this season with KDB against Liverpool, with Ilka Gundogan against Liverpool, and you might look at a couple of seasons ago, Maras against Liverpool and, and others that we've missed, where I've always said this, it doesn't matter how well you take a penalty, if you don't hit it on target, you're not going to score. That's the, so the basic minimum is to hit it on target. And you might take one of the worst penalties ever. If the goalkeeper dives the wrong way and it's on target, you'll score. And even if he dives the right way, you still got a chance to score. The bottom line is, which we've failed to do too often, is hit that target. Give Rodri his due. As, as I said, I think it was a really poor penalty. He hit it on target. We scored the goal. Uh, and I think that basically changed the game. All right, guys. Let's talk yeah, there about. Was, there was one slightly controversial incident actually mm-hmm. in mm-hmm. that first half, quite early on, yeah. with um, Eric Lamella. We talked about. Oh Lamella. yeah. Uh, and he went flying in on. Gabby. Was it? Gabby J. Very, very heavy. T- I think he won the ball, but he took Gabby J. with him. Uh, and the referee gave a foul, didn't he? But no card, which was. Uh, and, and his foot was off the ground. It was. He was certainly reckless, and you could argue it was excessive force. Yeah. Well, it was it was excessive force because he took Gabriel Jesus. He, he, he was flying off his feet, you know. And yeah. at, at, at the time, I, I suppose most of us were thinking, is it going to be a yellow or a red? You know, is he going to go as far as give him a red? He didn't give him anything. And then he compounded that a little bit later by giving giving a, a, a free kick to um, uh, was was it uh, a, a, for, for for absolutely nothing? Um, he gave one of. Well, give Bernardo. Um, yeah, uh, it's, it's, I think Bernardo's yellow card. He pulled someone back. It's mm. justified, but then there was Spurs player did the Eric Dyer did the same thing in the second half and didn't get a card. Yeah, the ref gave some uh, odd ones because there was another point where uh, there was an altercation between Gabriel Jesus and Lamella, and it should have been a foul on uh, against Gabriel Jesus. Referee didn't give it, and then. Um, he gave a foul when Lamella got his own back straight away, I think. Um, it wasn't t- too bad. But the referee spoke to the players and briefly, and then they jogged off into the box. And you could see clearly see uh, Lamella cuff Gabriel Jesus around the head. Now, it wasn't, uh, you know, it wasn't as if he punched him or anything. He just, you know, uh, but he, his, his hand or arm made contact with Gabriel Jesus' head, and it was deliberate. Now, you can say there was not much in it, but that's petulance. You know, I think back to um, David Beckham getting sent off against Argentina for something quite innocuous after the event. And I don't understand why. And then the referee spoke to Lamella and called Hugo Lloris, his captain, over to say to tell him to behave. But I, I just don't see why he didn't get a yellow card for that incident. It's, it's just yeah. very odd with the referee. I think there's very poor referee in today. I mean, there were no real controversial decisions, <laughs> I don't think. I think, you know, the penalty was fairly clear, although some people were moaning about it. Mourinho called it a modern penalty, didn't he? Uh, um, yeah, strange uh, but, but But it was very inconsistent. Yeah, that's the thing. Just the inconsistency is just, you know, from one decision to the other, it's hard to... Uh, it's, it's almost like you feel that the refs have got to um, take away, you know, we're... You know, we're really doing well, and we won't say we're running away with it, but 
you know, we've got a clear lead now in the Premier League. Mm. It's almost like the refs feel they've got to even it up. Um, you know, even it up a bit. It's crazy. You know, yeah. you play to the you play to the rule book. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, guys, any any other thoughts uh, pre half time? I thought it was a fairly you know, I, City obviously scored from the penalty, um, but it was a you know a reasonably tightly uh, contested encounter. Certainly, didn't feel particularly threatened by by Tottenham, apart from that Harry Kane um, free kick that was conceded by Laporte. Um, didn't really think there was that much more to talk about in that half time. Do you agree, Ray? Yeah, I, yeah, I, 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 I thought with my, my view on that. First half was we weren't quite with it, mm-hmm. you know. We, we, we were in maybe in second gear, but that second gear had been good enough to t- send us in one nil up. Uh, you know, we, we kept a clean sheet. So, uh, and the great thing about Pep is, you know, he's going to change things at half time. You know, he's going to g things up. He's going to find a way of uh, making things better. Which, which is, uh, but one of the reasons I feared today's game a bit was Mourinho is probably the one, the only one who can equal him in that regard. Yeah. Well, um, the one substitution that I can recall really uh, on halftime was uh, Mourinho brought on Sissoko for Lucas Moura. Um, I don't think City made any subs, but as the second half got in, um, got underway at Ray, did you feel that Pep had made any tactical tweaks that he did to such effect in the um, previous? I, I don't recall. I mean, um, I think Spurs had made the tweaks by bringing Sissoko on. Pushing on Dumbele a little bit further forward, who is actually, I think, uh, their the one player who had an effect on the game because he was um, brushing through our midfield. He had, he, he obviously we know he's got that power and pace and physicality, um, and he and he knows when when uh, to, to to make that surge, surging run, and he'd done it a few times. Uh, I think in the first half, and he did it in the second half as well. So I think they'd made the changes. Um, and actually, at the start of the second half, if I remember rightly, uh, very early on, Sterling lost the ball. He miscontrolled it. The ball you know, not hit hard, straight to him. He miscontrolled it. Spurs got the ball and they passed it around for two minutes. And the longer they were passing it around, the more worried I got. Because you know, we, we, it's usually us who's con- who are controlling the ball for long periods. And you really don't want the opposition to do that because at some point they, they, they might find a quality ball. Uh, but I don't re- really remember uh, us as a city making any t- major tactical changes. Right. And uh, obviously, guys, um, five minutes after the restart, uh, we got goal number two. Uh, and this is your man, Gundogan again. And I like the way that the Daily Mail uh, describes it. Uh, Colin Sterling worming him, worming around the left channel and feeding a ball through to Gundogan. How did you feel about that one? Well, it was a pretty typical City goal, wasn't it? Um, you know, Gundogan, uh, Foden, Sterling, they were all out on that left-hand side and, and playing the ball about between themselves. Then ended up with Sterling, who was kind of on the left corner of the area. Foden made a run in front of him. And um, there was Gundogan was outside the area, but there was no one between him and the goal. And he saw that and he went into that space. And Sterling played a beautiful ball into him, beautifully weighted. I mean, you know, it wasn't a particularly ambitious ball, but it was, it was weighted. So he couldn't do and came on the ball and could just take it and, and, and um, put it put it past Larice. Again, you could say Larice might have done better, but couldn't do and played it very firmly. Um, and it was, again, it was low. And um, 
Yeah, it was just great the way we we kind of dragged the defence. Foden's little run out, you know, out to the kind of left towards the left corner flag, just opened up that little gap that Gundogan went into, and Sterling all had Sterling had to do was to um, find him, which he did. Thoughts on the goal, Ray? Yeah, it's pretty much as Colin said. I mean, one thing about having this false nine and players running all over the place and popping up in different areas, like I said, we we saw moments where Gundogan will be an attacking midfielder. We see moments where Gunduan is your centre forward or coming in late into the box. We see moments where Gunduan's out on the left and the other players, the attacking players are moving all over the place and Spurs don't know who to mark. And I think that was a big, big problem for them. They had nobody to mark and then the guy they were looking at or who was near them might suddenly decide that he's going to go 30 yards away and then they have to decide, do I follow them or do I stay where I am? And it's really, really confusing um, and you know, some people said maybe Larice could have done better with the shot, but everything happened so quickly. And when, you, especially when you see the see the action from behind the goal on the replays, it happened so quickly. And although you think, well, it's, isn't it straight at him? By the time he notices it, it's almost past him. So you know it, the way we move it so quickly and we shoot so early as well. When we get that opportunity, it's very difficult for the keepers to make the save. Mm-hmm. Now, I think we should stop just at this point, um, Colin, and talk a little bit about Gundogan um, and talk about this amazing transformation because uh, City fans will remember that he was Pep's first purchase, around about £20 million, and he had done his backing. Um, he was injured when we bought him. And then he became, I think, um, despite some uh, great individual moments uh, that we all remember, particularly a kind of brace of goals scored against Barcelona, and uh, the odd worldy here and there. He came in for regular uh, t- uh, social media criticism from the fans who really um, argued that he didn't offer that much to the team, that he was a water carrier in the in the mould of Didier Deschamps, who was famously labelled that by, I think it was Zidane. Um, but um, he is really, really transformed. And uh, what exactly... Do you attribute that to Colin? Well, uh, I, yeah, ironically, I think it's a lot to do with the fact that KDB's out because KDB, uh-huh. you know, uh, takes on a lot of the workload in that midfield area, but he's out. Gundogan's had to take it on. He's, he's had to, but we always looked at him more of a number six, really. You know, he, he filled in for Fernandinho when Fernandinho went to defence, uh, and, and he looked quite decent in that position. Yeah, but it was all there was always a doubt of it. He never quite as effective when he was playing, say. Uh, number eight, uh, and I think the fact that Kevin De Bruyne is out uh, has, has almost released him, hasn't it? Um, you know, he's free to wander, he's free to go uh, where he likes, and um, I think it also helps that Rodri is really coming to form as well, because you know he provides that solid base behind them, the the, the midfield to Gundogan, Foden. You know, he gives them that license to to roam a little bit. They don't they don't have to worry too much about uh, um, kind of sitting back a bit. To have to defend, and um, it's a bit, um, you know, I don't know. I mean, he's turned into a bit of a, a Frank Lampard, hasn't he? Who, who, where he can do the business in midfield, and then he'll pop up in the area to, to pop the ball home. And, and I remember, you know, many years ago, Alan Oakes, in, in the twilight of his career, um, played further forward, and he got quite a few goals. You know, and, and Alan Oakes wasn't someone you. Uh, really thought of as a goal scorer, but he was playing, getting further forward, and, and scoring quite a few goals. And uh, as I say, I think um, 
I think the fact he's he's almost got to take on the Kevin De Bruyne role um, has uh, transformed him. Uh, I, I, I've always defended Gundogan. I was thought clearly a class player in there, but it's not not necessarily always shown it. But the system we're playing at the moment and, and where he's playing has just um, transformed him. Yeah, just an FYI for younger City fans. Uh, Colin mentioned Alan Oakes, who is Manchester City's all-time leading appearance maker. And um, how many appearances? Um, that's six hundred and something. Of six eight Yeah, mm-hmm. and um, the, the skepticism regarding Gundogan by some City fans was obviously never shared by Pep, and it reminds me of a. I remember reading an autobiography of uh, Glenn Hoddle, and uh, I think the writer explains how that um, he was so impressed by Glenn Hoddle, and um, he brought um, one of his friends who was not really interested in football to a game to watch Hoddle, and um, uh, Hoddle didn't do very much in the game. There was a few flashes of brilliance, and um, uh, you know he the the writer comments, uh, you know people around him were saying that Hoddle had done nothing. And he just made the comment that, yeah, I mean, to the untrained eye, you'd think that he wasn't very effective. But to the trained eye, to to to, to those who know what they're looking at, he was um, he was amazing. And uh, maybe that's just something that um, people might take note of. I mean, there's a difference between um, the trained eye and the untrained eye. Of course, I guess we are untrained eyes, and um, I I'm guilty of. Um, of that on Twitter, talking about Gundogan from time to time. And, and guys will remember City uh, lumped Rodri into the same uh, category and they referred to Rodrigan as two players that they just didn't um, didn't fancy. And of course, they've both really flourished uh, this season. Guys, just after the goal, a little stat came up that caught my eye. Um, by the 60th minute, City had had 31 top touches in the opposition box, Spurs had had four in the city box. Um, so I, I guess it just showed you. Um, but I would just want to ask a, a quick question to Ray. Ray, now what city fans were worried about was Son and Kane. Obviously, they can be devastating. Um, why do you think they were so blunted uh, in this particular game? Well, there's a combination of things. I mean, Spurs rely on uh, breaking very quickly, um, and generally we had. Uh, the numbers back as well. So we'd always have two or three um, players covering. And when Spurs broke, we came back very quickly. And and they were too slow uh, at times. They they would start an attack, uh, a breakaway with pace. And I'd start getting a bit nervous because I I know the quality of Son and and Kane and the pace of Son. And then for whatever reason, if it was Lamella, they would slow it down a, a little bit or they'd turn around to have a look. And in that one or two seconds, that allowed us to get um, players back and get into uh, more of a cohesive unit, you know, get back into our uh, positions. And also, I think the quality of our defending, there was one occasion I remember, uh, Son, who is way quicker than uh, I think anybody in our defence, the ball was put over the top for him out wide. He was always getting there first. He got there first and John Stones went out to meet him. And, you know, uh, uh, people would worry that John Stones is a centre-back. He's out now out on the wing. Um, Son is faster. He's going to skin him and, and get into the box or whatever. And John Stones just stood his ground and he slowed Son down. Uh, so much so that 
we got our other defenders back. And I think Son ended up having to pass the ball back. So quite often you, you saw um, Spurs attacks break down when you thought they were in promising positions and they'd end up playing the ball backwards. Um, and then, you know, we, we would swarm them and put pressure on them and, um, you know, hopefully win the ball back. But we would, in most cases, nullifying their attacks very, very well. So I think it's a, it was a combination of them not really being uh, um, throwing everything into the, uh, into their attacking moves, and our defense actually been pretty uh, pretty firm and pretty strong. Mm-hmm. So, uh, the next question is for uh, Colin, and uh, just before the, co- the the goal, of course, Lamella finally got booked, um, and uh, I was just remarking, you know, on 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 Twitter, got a lot of um, likes that that, uh, you know, he was a man who was just begging to be sent off that whole game. He finally got the card. And one minute later, City scored the next goal. And uh, this is from Ederson. So, Colin, you reckon that Ederson was just so pissed off that he didn't get, you know, um, to take a penalty that he decided that, come what may, he's going to have an effect on this game? Well, that's Ederson, isn't it? Yeah. Um, But it was an absolutely cracking uh, pass, wasn't it? I mean, someone described it as a clearance, but he he saw, you know, there was a shot from behind the goal. And you you could see he, Gundogan gesturing to him to pass in the ball. And uh, he did, of course. Uh, uh, but, it, you, know, you know, Edison was in his own area. And the ball reached Gundogan literally on the 12-yard line on the Spurs area. Uh, uh, you know, it landed at his feet. It was just... Um, it was just incredible. And Gundogan sent um, Davinson Sanchez for a coffee and some cake. Um, <laughs> or, or, or he must have lost his contact lens and went down to look for it or something like that. Um, and again, just calmly slotted the ball home. But, you know, in a, in a week when you've seen um, his Brazilian counterpart um, assist three goals for the opposition, um, it was absolutely fantastic. That. And wasn't he pleased with himself? Oh, he was. He was. Ray, what did you think about this one? Oh, it was fantastic. I mean, Ed- Edison obviously was really pleased. He was <laughs> hugging the players, um, but it was it was a great pass. You know, it's not none of this long ball stuff, hit and hold. It was a great pass that Edison uh, he manages to spot the runs from seventy, eighty yards away. Um, Gundogan controlled it. Sanchez was all over the shop. Uh, he was twisted inside out, and. <laughs> Gundogan just left him lying on the floor, and there's, there's a there is a great shot. Um, you know, some waggers taking a, a picture for of the TV of, of basically the ball going in the net. Sanchez just lying face down on the ground. Oh yeah, um, it's, it's just it was just glorious, and it's it's interesting to know. I think this season's and that's another brace. That's a second time. Um, I think it's the third time in this season that Gundogan scored two goals in the league. But the, the second time against one of the so-called big six, and I think now he's got five goals against the big six uh, this season. And another fun stat, apparently, I read tonight, Gundogan has nine goals in 2021. Nine goals. Liverpool have eight. Um, uh, Colin, is there anything that you would like to talk about in the final third of the game before we get on to some gratifying post-match stuff? Uh, Edison had to make a, a very good save, didn't he? Yeah. Um, There's your shot stopper, right? It was a good bit of play from Gareth Bale. The only decent thing he did, I think, uh, when he came yeah, to Africa. Was, that was a good um, good little move from Bale. And it was really the only time that our defence was 
a little bit lacking. Yeah, fascinating comments by Mourinho about Bale, of course, because um, I think it was, you know, before the game against um, Everton where uh, he was saying that it seemed to, he seemed to be indicating that Bale didn't fancy it and that's why he wasn't picked. But obviously he was brought on in this game, so he must have fancied it. And that was a great bit of skill, showed, you know, you know flashes of the old Bale. So it was uh, a great little piece of skill, great shot and a fantastic save from Brazil's number one. I officially anoint him Brazil's number one now. Um, not too much, really, I think, to say about the uh, the final third of the game. Apart from that, uh, Ray, unless you've got anything else, um, I was just going to go on to some post-match comments by both men. I think we had a few of the decent chances to score. Uh, Sterling was skinning Ben Davis for fun, uh, but I think just the final ball was generally lacking. I think we hit the was it Gabriel Jesus hit the crossbar? Just I had what was that in the first half? Just skimmed the crossbar, but you know if we'd scored six goals, uh, you wouldn't have uh, um, you know said that we didn't deserve it. And 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 really, if we're honest, you know I, I spoke to some Spurs fans after the game, and they said City weren't even in top gear. Um, and you know some some fans were saying that but when we beat Liverpool last week, we played much better than what we did tonight and we still spanked Spurs 3-0 so it's just one of them you know I, I said if if Pep had set the place you've got to score six goals today then we, I think we would have scored six goals I think we would have you know slipped up a couple of gears and carried on uh, scoring against Spurs mm-hmm. well the managers um, were uh, interviewed after the game nothing particularly interesting in what Pep had to say very complimentary um, very sympathetic um, very right on uh, what was more interesting was the, was the comment from Jose Mourinho that I think Colin referred to, and he said, uh, he's talking about the penalty. The penalty, you cannot deny there was a contact, but now in modern football, every contact is a penalty, always against us. I'm not saying it's not a penalty. I'm calling, <laughs> it, I'm calling it a penalty of modern football. Um, do you have any sympathy with that, Colin? He's basically saying that every contact in the box is a penalty these days. <laughs> I do have sympathy with that view because I expressed it on Twitter to uh, um, to a Liverpool fan um, that you know, we, we've kind of lost all sight of the meaning of the laws of the game because the you know the the varying interpretations have taken away the original intent for me. You know, take offside. Offside is about the attacker gaining an advantage. Mm. And, you know, when you see that, um, the goal that was uh, Leicester's first goal, the, um, the Madison one, um, you know, when they were, they were checking that, was the guy, was the Leicester guy gaining an advantage by having, potentially having his upper part of his bicep ahead of Firmino's boot? You know, and, <laughs> and it's about, you, you think back to last Sunday, you know, uh, the Salah penalty, which, of course, We'd all be screaming for if it was us, but all called it out because it wasn't. And and to me, the purpose of a penalty of foul is, you know, and you get the pundits say, well, there was contact. But the the rule, I think we said this, the the law talks about holding. Was Diaz ever holding Salah? You know, and for me, the key thing is, was, did Diaz's action cause Salah to flop, you know, throw himself in the air the way he did? Uh, I think we know the answer to that. that well, one. yeah, and and to me that's not not a penalty. I mean, what the Liverpool guy said, and, and to be fair, he was right. Said 
the trouble is you've got to go down to get them. Refs don't give them. If there was contact, if there was a foul, and the player doesn't go down. But then you've, you've sort of played advantage, haven't you? Yeah. Um, so, so again, it, it, it's all complete. I do have do have some sympathy with what Mourinho said. It was a penalty, but mm. I do have some sympathy with what Mourinho said because it's you know the, the kind of microscope under which we put players these days, um, under which we put games, particularly in the Premier League, just causes that sort of uh, issue, doesn't it? You know, games weren't meant to be looked at in slow motion 20 times. Mm. And, you know, you have every sympathy for referees trying to make up their minds. But really, if you can't see it in five seconds at normal speed, then, you know, nothing, you know, it, it, it's not an issue. It's the same thing, you know, we're talking about offside as well. If, if, you, if you're looking at it, if you looked at it for 10 seconds and it's not obviously offside, then it's not offside. So, that yeah, kind of common I, sense I, is a bit I, missing. <laughs> common sense is missing, yeah. And, we, and we've forgotten the original intent of the... The, the laws the laws of the game. Okay. Well, guys, here's some interesting um, post-match stats. Um, uh, one that I like is this one. Manchester City have not trailed for a single minute in any of their last 15 Premier League games since that, that loss to Tottenham in November. Uh, City are the first to aside to, to keep 14 clean sheets from their opening 23 Premier League games in a season. Uh, since Manchester United did uh, 17 and Chelsea 14 in 2008-2009. And now I've got a little pop quiz question uh, for both the guys here. Here it is. So Ederson's assist for City's third goal was the third assist that he's registered for the club in all competitions. Do you remember where he got his other two assists? Against whom and when? Yes, because I've just read this. One was against Huddersfield in... 2018, mm-hmm. and the other was in the Champions League against, oh, I've forgotten, German team. Schalke it was, that's right. Schalke, Very yeah. good. <laughs> okay. Well, guys, let's go to the league table. This is uh, one of the things that we like to do is just take a, a satisfying look at uh, the league table and um, just um, make, a, make a few comments on, on what you can see there. So... At the moment, seven points clear. Um, Leicester on 46, United 45. Liverpool, whose manager Jurgen Klopp has thrown in the towel, conceded any notion of the the title on 40 points. And then just beneath them, and I think Ray was mentioning um, on his channel that he, Ray, you expect Chelsea and West Ham to displace Liverpool by the end of the weekend and send them down to six. Is that right? Well, I'm not expecting, but I said it could well happen because the games that we've got coming up, um, I mean, Chelsea and West Ham are only one point behind Liverpool. So Chelsea have already got a better goal difference. So it could uh, quite conceivably happen. uh, And they both got fairly kind games as well. Yeah, I mean, well, if you look at it, I mean, uh, the next uh, round of games, let me just try, I'm trying to remember now who who they've got. One's playing Fulham and West yeah, Everton are playing. Um, are Everton playing Fulham tomorrow? Um, and on, and then you got on Monday. You've got uh, Chelsea playing Newcastle at home on Monday, and West Ham are playing Sheffield United on Monday. So you know, there's a reasonable chance that uh, those two teams can leapfrog Liverpool, push Liverpool down into sixth. Uh, and, and on top of that, I mean, obviously we don't like laughing at Liverpool and and uh, you know compounding their their problems, but Everton. Uh, they've got 
three games in hand over Liverpool, three points behind. That's nice. Well, obviously, Villa we don't want them to win tonight. one of those. Yes, yeah, we're one of them. So, fingers crossed they, they, they don't win that. But Villa, they've got two games in hand over Liverpool. They're four points behind. So, if they get four points, their goal difference will hopefully take them above Liverpool as well. Um, everybody's catching them. Spurs, I mean, Spurs are down in ninth. They've got a game in hand over Liverpool and are four points behind. And even Leeds, you know, Leeds are down in 10th. They've got two games in hand and are eight points behind. So Liverpool, if, if everybody wins some of their games in hand, they could easily find themselves down in eighth position, which, you know, we won't it's even, better, it's even better, actually. Obviously, we've got Fulham tomorrow evening and you'd expect them to win that. Though Everton are very, can be very inconsistent, can't they? Yeah. Um, so, so that would take them... Level, wouldn't it? Would it take them level? Yeah, it takes them to 40 yeah, points. It would take level. them level with two games in hand. Yeah. And uh, um, next weekend, it's the Merseyside Derby. Wow. Mm-hmm. 5.30 on Saturday. So if, if Everton win that, they'll have two games in hand over Liverpool. It, well, leave out our midweek game against them. Uh, obviously, anything other than a win for City, they would Everton would go above Liverpool. But but let's let's assume we win that. But, uh, although it's not, uh, I, I'm not saying we will, but assume but, we win that. Uh, Everton would... then beat Liverpool on, on Saturday. They will be three points ahead with two games in hand. Of course, anything they get against us. Um, with a game in hand. Uh, with two games in hand? Two games. They'll have two, they'll have two games in hand. No, if they lose towards the uh, game two, in hand. No, but they'll be level with two games in hand. Sorry, they play us and they'll have a game in hand. Hopefully. And they play Liverpool. Yeah, they still have a game in hand. But they could be three yeah. points ahead of Liverpool, ahead of Liverpool if they win next Saturday, even if they get nothing against <laughs> us. Uh, which are, um, uh, but it's, it's, and have a game in hand. the first team in ages to lose, uh, existing champions to lose three games on the bounce. Something like that, yes. They are, they are the, the uh, I think officially, uh, the so far anyway, um, uh, you know, one of the worst defending champions ever. But we can't talk, guys. Um, because well, I know in the, in the 1930s, in the 1930s, we won the league and then were relegated the next season. Um, yes. So I don't think that we have anything to talk about. One thing is really nice about the way that the BBC displays uh, the full uh, league table, of course, is they've got the form guide on the extreme right. The wins are in green, the draws are in black and the losses are marked in, in red. And it's very uh, striking uh, to to notice um which teams have got a very high proportion of uh, of losses. Obviously, you've got Liverpool with three losses on the trot. Uh, Tottenham have lost four out of five. And uh, quite surprisingly, for a team in 12th, just shows you, uh, Southampton, five games, five losses all in a row. Um, they, uh, it just shows you, they've lost five games. It just shows you how far they've fallen, really. Um, yeah. Five games, five losses. I've got a stat for you guys. I'm going to test you now. I'm going to ask you a question. Last 10 games. So I'm going to ask you uh, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven clubs. And just tell me how many points you think they've got. City in the last 10 games in the league. Um, Well, obviously, maximum. Yeah, that's the easy one. Um, United. Uh, You can only see the five on the BBC unless you've got... I've got United down for 19, same as Leicester, 19. 19 and 19 from the last 10 games. Everton? Ooh. I think they've got about 15. I've got Everton down as 20. No, from 10. Sorry, 20. Sorry, yeah. 20. West Ham? 
They've done quite well. 17, maybe? 18. 18. 18. Spurs? Not many. Uh, uh, 14. Colin? 11. 11. Liverpool? Four. Liverpool? Uh, nine. Nine from the nine. last 10. Liverpool have got yeah. nine points in the last 10 games. Nine points out of a possible total of 30. Yeah. That's I, shocking. I, I, I'll show you something else, because just before we um, started recording... I have this. I may have mentioned it on the last part. I have this theory that everything seemed to go wrong. If everything went right, everything went or anything, everything went wrong. It went wrong just before Christmas, mid December. And on December the 15th, the table had Spurs and Liverpool um, joint up with 25 points on, after 12 games. We played also played 12 games and uh, were five points behind. And we had a goal difference of six. Uh, Spurs had a goal difference of 14, Liverpool had a goal difference of nine. So that's after 12 games. Now we're just, um, now we're at 23 24. So in, in the 11 games since December the 15th, Spurs have won just three of those and the goal difference has gone down by three. Uh, Liverpool have won four of 12 games because they're on 24. The goal difference has gone up by four. We, of course, have won 11 out of 11 games and our goal difference has gone up 26. I've got a pop quiz question for Ray. Ray, um, in 2021, who has scored more goals, Liverpool or Gundogan? I already answered that. Gundogan's got nine, Liverpool have got eight. <laughs> I already answered that. And they've got the best front three in the world. I think, really, that's where Liverpool fans have really sort of got it coming to them. I think you've made mention of it. Just how many of their players that they've lab- labelled the best in the world? This is the thing. They've got the best goalkeeper. They've got the best fullbacks. They've uh, got the best midfielders in Henderson and uh, Fabinho. They've got the best front three. Um, you know, they've got the best pretty much of everything. Um, and, and yet they're struggling so badly. And, and there's something that I've got to read this out to you guys. I've got to read this. It's, there's a Twitter account called Empire of the Cop. Oh, yes. <laughs> 1.8 million followers on Twitter. That's a lot. 1.8. Eight million. This is a tweet tonight. Feel physically sick. To be honest, I'm rapidly falling out of love with football. I just wonder what's the point anymore. Ooh. And these guys go back, even go back even three months, you know, go back to December. They were talking like this. Go back to when they won the league last season. They talked, they were all this talk about the best team ever. You know, after about 27 games last season or 26 games, Liverpool had drawn one and won the rest. And they were talking themselves up as going to be the best team ever, 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 ever. You know, and they didn't even get to 100 points. Um, and now look how far they've fallen. And back to back, no chance. Um, you know, it, it's just, it, it's, it's odd because um, when I look at it, I say, have Liverpool's last two seasons in the Premier League just been lucky? Have they just been an exception to the rule? Because Liverpool don't finish second and first. Um, they normally finish fourth and sixth and eighth. Have they just had two exceptional seasons? Has Klopp just been very, very lucky? Uh, have they been very, very good? It's hard, hard to tell. But the, their fall from grace so far this season must be about 30 points fewer this season than they had last season. Something like that. It's ridiculous. Here's another pop quiz quick question. I'll give this to Colin. This is from Sky Sports Stato on Twitter. Uh, Man City have won six successive home league games without conceding for the first time in how many years? Oh, gosh, I have no idea. 
<laughs> Think big. Any guesses? About 50 odd years, I'd guess. 119 years, Colin. Wow. 119 years. Even you weren't around back then. Um, that's a fantastic uh, little stat there. Um, Colin, I was just going to ask you, how long do you think it'll be before Alisson starts getting the Loris Carius treatment from the fans? Or do you think he's just got enough credit in his bank that they can keep brushing these things off? Well, I think, um, you know, looking at the reaction on social media, most think he's got enough credit, but uh, it just shows the hypocrisy of fans, doesn't it? I mean, I'm not going to say Liverpool fans, but, you know, like City fans, you know, who turned on Gundogan and Rodri and um, Zinchenko and uh, I don't know. Um, so, uh, yeah, I think he's got credit in the bank, but they're also saying he's not the same player this season he, he has been. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, We'll see, you know, if he carries on in the same vein. But the thing is, they have to keep backing him, don't they? Because they've bigged him up so much. They've bigged him up because there's, there's this, you know, apparent rivalry they've created with City. And, you know, they big up the rivalry between Alisson and Edison for the uh, goalkeeping spot. And they big up the rivalry between uh, Gabriel Jesus and uh, Roberto Firmino for the striker slot in uh, the Brazil um, national team. So... If they've spent so many years bigging up Alisson, they can't suddenly turn their back on him. Um, and so I think they'll keep, you know, until, if he makes a huge clangor in the Merseyside derby, sadly, I think there will be some death threats. I, I'll tell you this, from what we've seen, especially in football recently, with Mike Dean having death threats and asking not to officiate this weekend, uh, we've seen it in the um, in, in the women's football. It's, it's, it's crept in in the women's football uh, primarily because of Man United, their fans uh, are over the top, uh, quite, some of them, quite honestly, with the things they're saying and the way they're behaving, which is uh, unheard of in the women's game generally. People on social media saying all sorts. So I think losing a game like the Merseyside derby, and if Alisson makes a clangor, then I think they're going to start to turn. But I think he'll have to do you know, two or three more clangers this season uh, before they re- a lot of fans really turn <coughs> on him. Uh, Colin, do you think that Leicester City are the new th- the new sort of threat if there if there is one um, to uh, to getting close to to City? Do you think that they're stronger than Manchester United, all things considered? Um, I don't think there's much in it particularly. I don't mm. I don't particularly see Leicester as a huge threat. Um, I, you know, I, I rate Brendan Rodgers as a coach, but they're they're so reliant on you know, that, that quick ball forward to Vardy and uh, Madison. And, you know, it's a bit of a... They're a bit like Liverpool in many ways, where, you know, Klopp is a bit of a one-trick pony, as we said before, with his gag pressing. And if that doesn't work, what's he got in his locker? And, you know, watching watching the Liverpool-Leicester game uh, earlier, um, Leicester, uh, Liverpool were pressing Leicester. Uh, Leicester had no idea to, what to do with the ball. It was only when Liverpool... And we know that Liverpool drop off in the last 20 minutes of a game. You know, we've seen it so many times. And it was only in that period where Leicester started getting some space. And, of course, um, that odd incident with the penalty that wasn't uh, a penalty and the offside that wasn't an offside, uh, and then that horrendous rick by Alisson. Um, but, but Leicester were finding that space more and more in the last 20 minutes when we know Liverpool tire. 
So, uh, yeah, you know, Leicester, they're not a bad team, but I think the fact they're in the top four shows, to some degree, the lack of quality in that top four. No, not to take anything away from Leicester, you know, they, they, if, if, if United and Chelsea and Spurs and Liverpool were all firing on all cylinders, you wouldn't expect Leicester to be in the top four. Mm-hmm. Just a quick look um, forward. As the guys mentioned, of course, our next game is uh, Wednesday um, away to Everton. Uh Followed by on the on the Sunday, the twenty first, then we're away to Arsenal. Wednesday again, um, away to Borussia Mönchengladbach, and then finally in this quartet, then a home game at, at last with West Ham United. Um, interesting uh, little quartet of games. Um, we should we should be feeling confident with all of those, don't you think, Ray? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and I've been looking at, you know, we, we had a run of six games that were all winnable, um, you know, and, and, and fans were saying, you know, can we win these six uh, on the bounce and it'll uh, propel us up the table and, and everything else. And we beat teams like Sheffield United and West Brom. Um, we beat Aston Villa and Palace and Brighton um, uh, to, to help us obviously get where we are. And, uh, and now we've beaten, and then we beat Burnley as well, uh, who actually are, are in a decent run of form. But now we've gone out and beat Liverpool. Now we've gone out and beat Spurs. You can argue that their form hasn't been great, but they're still, you know, big teams and uh, full of lots of good players. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I, I said February and the first week in March are basically where I think if we're going to win the league easily, this is where it's going to happen. The Everton game, the Arsenal game. Uh, the West Ham one, and then um, on the 6th of March, I think, we play Man United. Uh, that The date might change for, for TV, but that weekend we play United. And I think if, we, if we're if we good enough to win all those games, then I think the title pretty much is done and dusted um, because no one will be within 10 points of us, minimum uh, 10 points, maybe 12, 13, 14. And I think then we can then start to focus on um, things like the Champions League, the FA Cup and the League Cup final, which is uh, in, in in April, so it's a huge, huge um, four or five games. I think to help us break the back of the of the league season and 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 focus and then focus on the other prizes. Well, it's beautiful, guys. Uh, seven points clear at the top of the table in the League Cup final. We have uh, inflicted some psychological damage on our opponents in that final, and of course into the quarterfinals of the FA Cup with. Um, um, what most people would be, would would agree is a winnable game. Not gonna um, say that uh, we'll do it, but it's a it's a winnable game. So it's sitting very pretty. Let's move in now to the final section, which 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 we're gonna call extra time, guys. Uh, this is your opportunity. If you want to take it to comment on anything else, city related or or non related that you want to get off your chest. Any issues? Um, yeah. Well, That's I'll. Fine. I'll, I'll, I'll I'll start because because we're not we didn't talk about the midweek game against Swansea the FA Cup. That's right. Uh, and again, that was a game I was quite worried about because I think we said Swansea were on fire, you know, playing really well. But again, they didn't really give us too much problem. But of course, that set uh, the fifteen games won in all competitions on the run. Uh, 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 was, there was, uh, was quite some controversy and some backwards. Well, well yes, obviously between um, you and uh, the historian Gary James, I think. Well, you know, far be it from me to argue with as esteemed a figure as Gary. Um, 
But hey, so it came up with a, a very neat solution to that because, of course, we, we claim the, goal, the record is 20 games, but one of those games uh, back uh, a couple of seasons ago was um, the League Cup tie against Wolves, which we were drawing after extra time and won on penalties. And the argument was, was that a win or was it a draw? Uh, and um, Gary's um, view was that IFAB, who set the laws of the game, the controlling body of the game international, they say it's a win. So strictly speaking, we've got 20 wins on the trot. Other people, dis- other areas disagree. Uh, so, but, but, but Gary's neat solution was that, well, actually, we've got two records, one of 15 consecutive wins and one of 20 consecutive wins, uh, including a penalty shootout. Now, of course, the way to put all that to bed would be to win 21 consecutive games. And we don't want to get look too far ahead. But should we win our next few games, that 21st game would be on March the 6th against United. Which would be a nice way to round it off, wouldn't it? It would be an excellent way, but we've been here before with United, yeah. of course, in the last few seasons, when we uh, in the Centurion season, when we should have won the league yeah. uh, in a home derby, and we didn't. Yeah, I remember so, yeah, that so, as well. <laughs> so, according to the official record books, um, we're on an hour... Well, a 16-game unbeaten, uh, sorry, 16-game winning run, and um, but unofficially, we're on. We're still not quite caught our 20-game winning. I think what might have set Gary off a little bit was because on Twitter you had all of these esteemed institutions, um, everything from ESPN FC right through to a lot of big organisations saying that City were um, record breakers and. you know, he was then others, you know, sort of pushed back against that saying, you know, well, we've already got we've got 20 already. So hold your horses. But, yeah, there was the, the, the game against Wolves that we won on penalties, which is a win. Um, but I tell you what, Colin, what's a what's a more what's an even or equally interesting thing is how would IFAB or anyone else? And how would you, in fact, uh, view, a, a, let's say, a European game, which uh, City had lost the first leg, but won the second leg and won it on aggregate overall. Uh, that would, to the, to you would that that first leg loss result in the end of the affair? Yeah, I mean yeah. a game is a game. I mean my my yeah. view was, you know, I, I, I don't like to argue with Gary. He's invariably right. Probably the leading football historian. But to me, you have a penalty shootout because you haven't won a game. I know, I know it gives you a win, but it's it's a way of deciding who actually goes through to the next round. I, I don't class it as a win because you wouldn't have the penalty shootout if you'd won the game. So, yeah. Um, but but yeah, so Gary had a very elegant solution to that problem. So, mm-hmm. okay, we'll Ray, Ray, any other business from you? Yeah, some quick points. Um, uh, we forgot to mention that Gundogan went off with an injury to his groin. Um, I think I it's, it's just point. sorry. Uh, yeah, it just, just prepped, I think, described it as tight in that area. Yeah, so it's possible he, he doesn't play uh, against Everton. Uh, we'll wait and see tomorrow. Pep also said, he, he said that um, Gundogan could play as a striker and people laughed, but Gundogan is playing as a striker at times. Yeah. So that's interesting. Um, RB Leipzig today uh, have confirmed that they've made the Angelina move permanent. And that was for, I believe, 18 million euros or 16 million pounds somewhere 
around those numbers, which is kind of what we, we've talked about on the, on the pod in the past, um, that this move would be, we expected it to be made permanent around that sort of number, which is way below uh, his true value for a guy who was in last season's team of the season, um, Champions League team of the season, and a guy, if we wanted to buy him, we'd have to pay probably 40, 50 million quid. But I think, as we've also said, that was probably a decision uh, made a year or two ago um, to let him go for an agreed price that was possibly lower than what it should be. Another potentially interesting thing it happened recently. I'm trying to look at the within the last few days. Uh, Yaya Toure has secured his first coaching role. He's joined Ukraine's Olympic Donetsk as assistant coach. So. Mm-hmm. It's just a little bit of uh, additional city news that's out there. And just to add to one of Ray's points there is that Leipzig, RB Leipzig, can feel quite confident in being able to pay that um, 16 million fee uh, for Angelino because it was announced that they have secured the services of Upa Meccano for next season. Well, they uh, sold him, haven't they? Uh, 38 uh, million, right. And uh, sold them to Bayern Munich, haven't they? To, to Bayern Munich, to and, Munich. and uh, this, of course, um, just um, bringing up that that issue again of Bayern Munich hoovering up the the best players of their rivals, and uh, people, a lot of people, sort of raised eyebrows that they're still at this. And uh, I think one person made the point, um, Colin, that um, that that can't happen. In the Premier League, if you could, can you? I mean, Leipzig are in second position, and they're 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 trying to get uh, close to Bayern, who are at the top. Now, can you imagine, um, even in this day and age, uh, or especially in this day and age, Manchester City being being able to buy one of the best players of Liverpool, Manchester United, even Tottenham with Daniel Levy? It just wouldn't be possible, would it? Uh, no, I mean. It- it shows to to a large degree that the German league just you know one star actor with you know a supporting cast. Doesn't they it? did it I mean, with Dortmund as well when Dortmund were threatening. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It, it's and, quite uh, ridiculous. Really. Yeah, so yeah, Upa Meccano to Bayern. It's happened. It's happened in the Premier League, in, in, but not for the last few years. You had someone like uh, Van Persie going to United. That's a uh, long Canada. time ago, Ray. Sorry, that's a long time ago. Well, ten years, not even ten yeah. years. That's a long Seven time. Um, it's, it's, it's odd as well that Upa has gone, was it 38 million, where we were talking about 50 to 55 million um, only in the summer. Um, it's really strange he's gone for only 38 million to uh, buy a million. It's actually, it's actually good. I think it's, in one respect, it's good they're actually paying for him because so many times they've bought players like um, Lewandowski, they let him go down, his contract go down. Um, uh, expire and he, they got him on a free and I think they're done with goats as well two or three players they've done that they've got them on a free and it's interesting that Man United are now apparently interested in Jules Koundé from uh, Sevilla who City were very interested in last season I think we put a bid in around the £55 million pounds or euro mark and that was turned down and we ended up uh, very happy with uh, uh, Ruben Diaz and just one more interesting thing I just want to quickly say is City's Champions League tie against um, Borussia Mönchengladbach is now going to be played in Budapest, in the uh, Puska Stadium in uh, Budapest in Hungary because of the COVID issues in Germany. 
Right, okay. Something that, of course, is a little bit academic for all of us because I I don't think unless you're someone like Ian Cheeseman or someone with press credentials, um, no one can actually go to that. Let's just finish off with this point. Um, just, I'm gonna, maybe we could just take a quick look at how Munch and Gladbach are doing uh, in, the, uh, in the German Ooh. League. <laughs> I can um, tell you how they're doing, Mike. Yeah. Uh, I've, I've already I did a preview on Tuesday about Munching Gladbach. I watched them play last weekend. They were playing in the Rhine Derby against their um, rivals, who are uh, Cologne, or um, as, as we say in English, or Cologne, as they say over there. I think um, which they lost two one. I think they've actually had a they were actually on a good run um, from post the uh, winter break where they I think they'd won four drawn two, uh, losing that I think leaves them in seventh. In the league, Cologne, yep. Cologne were quite low in the league. They're about fifteenth, I think. Cologne uh, near the bottom of the table. They didn't play particularly well in that game. Um, so you know, I haven't seen what they did this weekend if they played or not. But uh, the the um, Munchen Gladbach fan I spoke to earlier in the week, he's a little bit concerned. He watched the Liverpool game and he's seen how his players are playing, and you know, he's not expecting uh, to get too much out of that game. Yeah, here are the facts, uh, guys. So the, the Munchen Gladbach are in seventh, as Ray said. Played 20, won eight, drawn eight, lost four, 37, scored 31 against, with a goal difference of six. In their last five games in the Bundesliga, two wins, two draws and a loss, and the last two games uh, being the, the draw and the loss. So you're not going to count your chickens, chickens or anything, but again, I think it would probably fall into the category of winnable. Uh, so, guys, um, I think we'll probably just stop there because we don't want to. We don't want to um, put you through another a two-hour, forty-five-minute pod like you got the last time. <laughs> but uh, really grateful that uh, the the number of people who listened to that was still um, still quite high. So, thank you so much for that. Let's um, bid farewell for now to our two lovely contributors. First of all. Uh, Colin Savage, thank you so much for coming on. It's a pleasure, as always, and particularly when we're winning. Okay. And we can take the mickey out of Liverpool. <laughs> <laughs> and thank you so much to Ray. Ray, thank you so much. Oh, it's been a, a great fun chatting with you guys tonight. Fantastic. Well, guys, you should uh, be in a good position to enjoy the rest of your weekend. We'll get this pod out to you in the next 45 minutes, I think, because we've got not too much editing to do. So thank you so much for listening. We'll be back with you anon. So until then, have one in us and up those blues.